0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for business owners and marketers who wanna know what works with social media. I am really stoked about today's show. I'm gonna be joined by Robert Cialdini. Yes, the Robert Cialdini, author of the seminal book on persuasion entitled Influence. This show will, and I kid you not, completely change your entire perception of influence and persuasion. He's got a brand new book out and we talk about stuff that is very, very groundbreaking. I was completely blown away by the interview. Uh, You can email me at any time at podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. That comes straight to my inbox and I try to respond to everybody. Now let's transition over to this week's brand new discovery.
1: Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip.
0: This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric?
1: This week, I have found assistant.to.
0: Assistant.to. What is that exactly?
1: Well, you know how there's been a crop of these tools that take the pain out of scheduling where you're going back and forth, email to email to email over and over again. Does this work? No. Does this work? Maybe. Well, and, and then there's been those like Calendly and Schedule Once and a few others. Assistant.to is actually a native plugin that you add to your Gmail, and then it just has access to your Gmail, your Google Calendar. And you can select a couple different places right by pressing a button inside your Gmail and offering up a few times, and they, they, then they get populated right into the email you're writing.
0: Interesting. And what happens when you send the email? Does the person somehow pick one of them and it automatically assigns it to your calendar?
1: Yes, because it does this really cool kind of smart communication between Gmail account to Gmail account by knowing which time zone I'm in versus which time zone you're in. And so they will look like the times that I selected on my end and then transform into the ones you need to pick from on your end.
0: Have you uh, either been the person using this to set up interviews, or have you been on the receiving side of this?
1: I have been on the sending side, and it's worked great.
0: I mean, explain how it works. How how does it work from your side when you're sending something?
1: Yeah, it's real easy. I mean, you just you type it. You know, put in the person's address in the sending section, and then as you're writing the body of the email in Gmail, and I should say this is on the desktop version of Gmail. Right. You will see a little a once you've installed this, and you click that, and then it brings up the uh, little hover over that lets you select different... T- it shows you your availability, because you're going to connect this with your Google Calendar. It shows you what meetings you already have scheduled. You can select a, you know, two, three, four, however many different time chunks that you want to give them options for, and then you just click add, and it basic you know copy pastes that right into the body of the email
0: and on the recipient side they just select one and, and it somehow automatically uh, adds it to the calendar and do they get an email notification or do you know how that part works
1: yeah so they get on the on the receiver side of things they receive all those times are clickable and then what that does is it then talks to the the you know, the server side of things that connects both ends and it confirms it. And then it sends the confirmation to both sides. Okay. This is when the meeting is and it drops it on both calendars.
0: Sweet. So, um, how does, what is it free? What does it cost?
1: It's free. It's surprisingly free.
0: So how do we find this thing?
1: So how you find it is you go to assistant.to.
0: And you're going to want to do this from a desktop. And then somehow it allows you to add this extension into your Gmail account is what I hear you saying. That's right. Assistant dot, what was the rest of it? T-O. Assistant dot T-O. Well, thank you, Eric, for assisting us with our scheduling possibilities here. Hopefully, a lot of people will go try that out. You're welcome. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit slash get updates. Now, on to an absolutely amazing experience, one that you may need to rewind and listen to again. I'd like to proudly transition over to my interview with Robert Cialdini.
1: Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide.
0: I am very excited to be joined today by Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you don't know who he is, he has sold more than 3 million books focused on the psychology of influence, And persuasion. He's helped coin a lot of phrases that marketers are familiar with, such as social proof and scarcity. And he's also the CEO of Influence at Work, which is a company that provides speaking, training, workshops all along, behavioral psychology, and the world of influence for the business world. His latest book is called Persuasion, A Revolutionary Way to Influence and Persuade. Bob, welcome to the show.
2: Well, uh, I'm glad to be with you, Michael, and and your followers.
0: Well, thank you so much. It's a real, real blessing to have you on the show. So let's go back in the time machine here. Um, Your first book, um, Influence, and I don't know exactly what subtitle it was, but the first book I think was called Influence. When did you write that book and what was your initial response when that book came
2: out? That book was written way back in the middle 80s. And uh, it was designed to find out what were the most uh, successful strategies that influence professionals used to get people to say yes. And it was written actually for the consumer, how to recognize and resist these strategies when they were used in some kind of unwelcome or undue way. Um, The initial response uh, to the book was, uh, let me say, quite mild Mm. Uh, so much so that my publisher uh, decided to call back the promotional and publicity funds advertising funds to promote the book because as they said to me that would be like throwing money down a pit
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh so obviously something
2: changed along the way what happened a couple of things happened. Uh, One, I think the biggest thing is that the times changed and the idea of evidence-based decision-making began to dominate the business world. The idea of deciding on how to go forward based not on hunches or anecdotes or war stories but on the basis of evidence. And the book Influence provided uh, a compendium of evidence as to what factors influence people to say yes. And it was all in this one place. And so suddenly, at about three or four years after publication, the sales of the book started skyrocketing to um, bestseller levels where they've stayed ever since.
0: Well, it's amazing because I first was introduced to your work while I was in grad school, actually. I was—I uh, have a master's in communication, and we were studying the whole persuasion side of the argument. And your particular book was kind of the course book for the course that I was in. And I just found it absolutely fascinating. The way you wrote the book, did you did you do some of the research but also kind of translate some of the existing research that was going on in the space? Can you kind of give a little insight into that?
2: There were uh, two sources of inf- uh, of information for me. One was uh, the literature in the behavioral sciences, um, uh, marketing, uh, psychology, communication, uh, management, and so on, as to what factors seem to be especially successful in, in moving people toward ascent. I contributed to that research literature, but I- it wasn't the own only uh, thing I looked at was my own research. I I cast a much wider uh, net to try to get uh, the nuggets of information that would be uh, valuable for readers uh, from the widest range of influence uh, uh, researchers. That was one place. The other place I looked, Michael, was beyond the research literature. I began to to infiltrate, kind of as a spy of sorts, uh, all of the training programs that I could get access to, uh, sales, marketing, uh, recruiting, uh, fundraising, and so on, to see what was being trained uh, by the pros uh, into their aspiring new professionals as to uh, what worked for them. And uh, I gleaned information from those uh, training experiences that I infiltrated. And uh, together, the research from scientific sources and from the lessons of the influence professionals became the book Influence.
0: And what a book! What a book! What a book! And and what what a, what a body of work that that uh, that you have created. It's just it's so funny because even while you are talking, I am remembering something that you coined in the version of the book that I have, which is the third edition called the Click Whirl. I don't even know if you remember that or not, but something to do with uh, I think you might have been using a tape analogy or something like that, like click. Certain things happen, and when these things happen, we kind of innately respond. Does does this phrase ring any bells to you?
2: Yes, it does. It's, it, it does have to do with uh, a technology from back in the 80s, and that is the, <laughs> the tape recorder, where you click and out comes uh, some information as a consequence. So it had to do with this kind of automaticity. Say one word or a particular phrase, and it's like clicking uh, a key inside people and out outflows the information uh, and and the response that you want. Now, um, obviously, it's been a
0: couple decades and obviously many different iterations of that book. Um, today, what kind of audiences are... Like you said originally, it was like the dark side, right? I mean, it was a little bit of hey, this is how you can defend yourself against the power of persuasion, but this is also how you can ethically employ uh, certain kinds of persuasion techniques. Are you finding that this book um, um, was uh, more received by an audience, a different kind of audience than you originally intended? I mean, was it really the business world that you expected to latch onto this? And is there any kind of connection between that and your most recent book, Persuasion?
2: Well, there is uh, a connection. Uh, what I found is that uh, the business community was primarily the, um, the initial uh, audience for the book. I expected it was going to be consumers, uh, but it was the business community that became attracted to it. They wanted to know what is known scientifically about the factors that incline people toward yes and how can we include those factors in our messages in our marketing campaigns and so on uh so um what's happened is that uh uh with that recognition of this very strong interest in, uh, not just defending ourselves against influence attempts, but harnessing the most powerful, uh, practices and procedures for creating change that I decided to write, uh, the new book, uh, Presuasion, which is designed for people who want to become more influential. So talk
0: to me a little bit about this book. Um, You know, who is the audience, ideal audience for this book? And what do you hope that they will discover as a result of going through that book?
2: Well, the ideal audience is, I think, anybody who's interested in increasing the extent to which their messages are successful in moving people in their directions. And of course, that would be salespeople, marketers uh, of of both uh, online and face to face or direct mail marketers, all of those kinds of individuals, but also just people who are interested in uh, being more influential uh, inside their families, inside Mm. their uh, networks of friends, inside the charity boards they might sit on, uh, those kinds of things. It doesn't have to involve a commercial exchange, but we're all in the business of trying to move people toward yes. And uh, uh, so, this book uh, uh, uncovers another dimension uh, for influence besides what we say inside our message. This book concerns what we say in the moment before we deliver our message mm. to make people more receptive to the message once we, um, we deliver it.
0: Now, a lot of people listening are like, oh, this is very fascinating. So, this book, The Pre, has to do with what happens just before the persuasion happens is what I hear you saying. Is that correct?
2: That's exactly right
0: so give us uh, how do you how do you define this then what you know I- is it just simply what you said or is there more to it like maybe let's let's um expand a little bit about what this concept of persuasion means
2: sure uh, so um, as opposed to influence which covers what what best to build into a message to get agreement. Persuasion describes the process of gaining agreement with a message before it's being before it's been sent. Mm. Now, that may seem like some sort of magic, but it's not. It's established science. And the the key is the moment before a message is sent that allows a communicator to create a state of mind in recipients that is consistent with the forthcoming message. Uh, That step is crucial for maximizing desired change. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, In one study, when researchers approached individuals and asked for help with a marketing survey, only 29% agreed to participate. But if the researchers approached a second sample and preceded their request with a simple, persuasive question. Do you consider yourself a helpful person? Now, 77.3 volunteered to participate in the survey.
0: Huh. Why do you think that is?
2: Well, when asked before the request if they were helpful, nearly everyone said yes. Yes.
0: So, they have, to, they, have to, they have to follow up. They have to be consistent. Is that what I hear you saying?
2: Yes. When the, then when the request for help occurred, most agreed to participate in order to be consistent with that recently activated idea of themselves as helpful people. Wow. <laughs> I mean, to, to go from 29% to 77%, that's unheard of. And it was by just asking a question, a persuasive question. Huh. Wow. So,
0: um let's 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 unpack this a little bit. How do we actually how do we actually do this? How do we know what questions to ask or what things to talk about to kind of prepare the recipient or recipients to um be more open to
2: the next request. Great question. It's a two-step process and it involves reverse engineering the typical strategy or sequence of persuasion. First of all, we have to decide what our major strength is. What is the feature of our message that uh, most, uh, most would benefit someone from choosing what we have to offer? what is the aspect of what we have? Is it reliability? Is it durability? Is it cost? Uh, Is it quality? What is it? Then we go to the moment before we deliver that message and present an idea or an image that is consistent with that strength. In that moment before, we will then attune people to the message that's about to come to them. Here's a perfect example. There was a study done by an online furniture store. Uh, they, they had uh, furniture that was high quality, comfortable furniture, and then they had lower end furniture that was inexpensive. So, they did a little experiment. They sent half of their visitors to a site with a landing page that has a, had as its background a depiction of fluffy clouds, which, of course, are associated with comfort. Mm-hmm. Right? Those visitors who saw that landing page rated comfort as the most important factor for making a choice of furniture. They searched the site for features related to comfort and most tellingly they preferred to make a purchase based on the comfort of this of the furniture involved though there was another set of visitors they were sent to a landing page that had coins money as its background they rated cost as the most important feature in purchasing a, a a sofa. They searched for price-related information, and they preferred to purchase inexpensive furniture.
0: Wow. So, in this case, it was a random sampling. It's not like they happened to know which consumers were more interested in price and which were more interested in comfort. They were instead more um, subconsciously influenced by the image. Is that what I hear you saying?
2: That's exactly right. And here's the scary part of it. Those marketers were able to create a comfort-oriented buyer or a price-oriented buyer by what they presented to them immediately before the choice. Wow. So, we
0: can condition, if you will, our prospects to want what our solution is.
2: That's what I hear you saying, right? That's the reverse engineering prospect of this. We know what our solution is. Our task is to put people in a state of mind that makes them especially attracted to that dimension, to that strength. Do you
0: think that some marketers have known this for years? And it's um, because I think about traditional advertising and, you know, there's some amazingly impressive people inside of ad, agency, ad agencies that are producing billboards and, you know, uh, traditional magazine advertisements that have a lot of these visuals that kind of convey these kinds of things. Do you think this has been kind of an unknown secret in the industry for a long time? And maybe you're just um, helping the world to see that it's something everyone can benefit from?
2: Well, you know, I think uh, some advertisers know it, but but it's, it's, a rarefied few. That is, we'll see examples of it, but the next time they don't use this. Mm. It's like they stumble on it and don't even recognize why it worked this way. The key is that they have to present this image or this concept at the outset, at the top of their, their material, not inside the case that they're making for it. It's too late there to get optimal influence. We have to make people primed and readied for our powerful argument before they experience it in order for them to be sensitized, to be attuned to that particular concept. Do you
0: think that this is only applicable to... Um, human to human, you know, salesperson to, I mean, I know in this particular case, this was online, is, is, does the medium ever get in the way of this or can it be accomplished regardless of the medium?
2: It can be accomplished regardless of the medium, because whatever we do to draw people's attention to a particular concept makes them see that concept as more important than they did immediately before their attention was drawn to it. Mm. And that's what causes them to then search into the subsequent information that we provide in a a particular tactical way designed to to fit with this idea of what's important for them. Just as we found in that uh, furniture store uh, study, if clouds were the thing that their attention was drawn to, now comfort became important. If coins, if money was the thing that their attention was drawn to, now price became more important for them. Now, here's here's the thing about it, Mike. When they were asked afterwards if the clouds or the coins made any difference in their choice, not one of them thought that it did.
0: But the stuff but the, the science shows that indeed it does. That's, that's that's impressive. Um all right, so how do we know how do we know what our strengths are? Because like I could I could see us getting tripped up on this first part of the process here. Um, any suggestions on, on yes. that? Go ahead. A,
2: a crucial point that a lot of organizations, a lot of marketers fail to specifically understand within their group what is our strength? What is the thing that would make it wise for people to choose us? Now, often that will change depending on the uh, particular uh, group that we're, we're targeting, right? But nonetheless... We can do that if we can um, segment our market and and, and change it. But uh, it's 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 the case that this this is something that we can do uh, if we understand what our strengths are. I just got a, a message from somebody who said, you know, um, I I I read your book on persuasion, and it caused me to change something we did to produce a remarkable. Uh, Impact, he said, my sons are in the Boy Scouts, and we were selling popcorn outside of grocery stores uh, to get funds for uh, the Boy Scouts. And we would, as people would exit, we would say, "Would you like some popcorn? Would you like to buy some popcorn?" And the majority of people shook their heads and walked on by. They had just left the grocery store. If they wanted popcorn, they could have gotten it in the grocery store. Instead, he said. I read what you said about identifying your strength. What is it that we really want? What's our goal here? And so we changed the question to, do you support the Boy Scouts? Huh. And now people said yes. And they came over and bought our popcorn. Or if they didn't want our popcorn, they would leave a couple of bucks anyway because the key to our message was not popcorn. We we weren't selling popcorn. We were selling the Boy Scouts.
0: Or you could just as easily say, are you interested in keeping kids off the streets? You know what I mean? Precisely. Uh, or any of those kinds of things that might play to some of the benefits of being part of this, supporting this thing. It, it's just amazing. I mean, literally in in a few seconds, this can change everything. And that's, that's powerful. What about what about um, when it comes to online marketers? I know a lot of us are using um, forums that um, require the written word. For example, maybe we're sending an email to a segment of our list. Mm-hmm. Can this also be accomplished in, in writing?
2: Yes. Let's take. Uh, of course, it uh, it can. The, the key is to find the places for it. Let's say we send an email with an attachment, and our message is in the attachment. Right. and let's say that uh, what we want is uh, people to be open to change because we've got something brand new for them. Right, I, you know how at the bottom of a lot of emails people have sayings or slogans. Right, you read that. I always read those, and then I go and open the attachment. Well, there should be a saying there associated with the reason for opening ourselves up to change. There Mm. are many. There's one I like uh, by a a British uh, author. He says, um, the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or um, there's a great one by Peter Drucker that says you can't manage what you can't measure. And I could see opening a message with a popular quote like that, and then perhaps um, revealing that you happen to have a course on how to, how to analyze your success, right? Exactly.
2: And there's another one that I love. The, if, if instead of uh, looking for change, you're looking for people to, who, um, who want to believe in your experience, your, your uh, not something new, but something that's worked well all along. There's a Chinese um, adage that goes... Um, the days, excuse me, the years say what the days can't tell.
0: Mm, very cool. Wow, this is this is absolutely amazing. So, um, l- let's talk about the ethical side of this because I know that the, there is an ethical quandary here, isn't there? And um, when we are when we are familiar with ways to influence people. Um, it could be used for good. It could be used for bad, you know? Right. Um, so, how, how do we know when we're crossing the line? What should we be thinking about on the ethical side of this? Right.
2: So, again, when we identify the thing in our message that we want people to be especially sensitized to, here's the question we have to ask ourselves. What is it about what I have to offer that will make it most wise— for people to choose us not the thing that gives us the biggest profit margin not the thing that makes it easier for us to distribute and s- sell no what's the thing about what we have to offer is it our safety is it our reliability is it our durability is it our novelty what is it all right mm-hmm. that's the thing that goes first because that's going to lead people in a direction of making choices that are in their best interests, not just ours.
0: So, in the case of the Boy Scouts, um, if somebody asks you, do you support the Boy, Co- Boy Scouts, but you can clearly see there's a table with popcorn on it or whatever, right? Yeah, right. Or do you support the Girl Scouts? Um, I can see myself being being stuck in a, ooh, that's a trick question kind of a mode, right? So, um the, uh, the, I, I might say I do, and I've already purchased some of those cookies last week Yeah, and that would be my way out, I guess. Right. Because there's yes. nothing wrong with the actual question itself, but I, I wonder whether or not some people might read through some of these questions and there could be backlash for us as marketers if we're not careful about how we ask them. And I guess that comes back to what you said earlier about making sure that we're picking the right things to focus on.
2: That's exactly right. You hit it on the on the nail. That is, if we're moving them in the direction of things that steer them to good choices, the best features, right, then they're going to register that offering along the dimension that will benefit them by choosing it. And then they're not going to be resistant (laughs) to the idea if it steers them in the right direction.
0: When you were working on this book, by the way, how long did it take you to craft this most recent book, uh, Persuasion?
2: About three years.
0: And did you go along the similar path to create this book that you did with your, your earlier book, Influence?
2: Well, I certainly looked at the literature in behavioral science, and I uh, sampled from it. But instead of infiltrating, uh, kind of as a uh, undercover operative, the training programs uh, of influence professionals, I went back to my notes to see, well, with, what were the highest scorers in each of those professions doing? What were the top um, achievers in each of the, um, uh, the arenas that I investigated? What were they doing? And what I found was the aces of these professions, sales, marketing, advertising, recruiting, fundraising, were persuading their audiences. They were, they were acting like expert gardeners, they recognize that it doesn't matter how good the seed is that you want to plant if you haven't pre treated the earth first, if you haven't cultivated the soil to be receptive to that great seed. So that's what they were doing. They were spending their time thinking about and organizing not just the message. But the moment before the message,
0: I remember. Uh, I think it's in the first chapter of your book, maybe the second chapter, where you talked about a sales guy that you. I think you were part. You were part of the journey with this guy. Does this ring any bells? And he ended up going out to his car to get something.
2: Yeah, can you tell that story? Sure. So uh, I was uh, taking training in uh, selling this uh, particular. Uh, very highly, uh, this very expensive um, heat-activated fire alarm system. And uh, people would um, have us come into their home and uh, the the best salesperson, his name was Jim, uh, would always do the same thing uh, in his sales approach. He would give people uh, a test uh maybe a 10 minute test uh to take this is usually a couple taking this test of their fire knowledge safety fire safety knowledge and uh while they were in the middle of it he would slap his forehead and he'd say oh i forgot some important materials out in the car would you mind if i let myself out and back into your home because i don't want to inter uh, inter- uh interrupt, interrupt yep. your your test and that often required people giving him a key to their front doors. He would come out, uh, uh, leave, come back in, and then he would begin the sales, strategy, the sales uh, uh, procedure. And I asked him about it. And he said, Bob, think, who do you allow in and out of your house at will? by giving them a key, only somebody you trust, right? I wanted to establish trust in the minds of those um, buyers before I began my messaging. So that's what he did. He persuaded them to see him as a trustworthy source of information before he began sending that information to them. And he was always the top salesperson. By a huge margin, right? easily yeah by a huge margin yeah
0: that's absolutely incredible well um we could keep talking forever but i want people to go out and get your book i think it's about <sighs> It's about 400 pages, but there's about 250 pages of content and the enormous index of where you can find out more about all these studies that that you reference inside the book. Why don't you tell people where they can get your latest book, Presuasion, A Revolutionary Way to Influence and Persuade, and also where they can reach out to you if they want to find out more about anything else that you've got going on.
2: Well, of course, it just came out last week, so it's in the bookstores right now, and it can be uh, obtained on Amazon or Barnes & Noble and and so on. But uh, to get information about the book and what else we can provide, uh, my website is influenceatwork.com. Influenceatwork is all one word, dot com.
0: Dr. Robert Cialdini, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today's show. Thank you so much for joining me.
2: Well, thank you, Michael. I appreciated the quality of your questions.
0: Was that crazy? Or was that crazy? Seriously. How cool is Robert Cialdini? Okay, so so I know there's a lot that we mentioned there, and maybe you didn't catch it all. Maybe you need to listen to this episode again. But if you want to catch all the notes, we take very detailed notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 218. That stands for episode 218. Don't miss our incredible lineup of future podcasts that we've got coming to you. If you are new to this podcast, hit that subscribe button on your podcast player. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Stelzner. I promise to be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world